1: This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. Yeah, so, how many days? How many days a week do you spend day?
2: As much as I can, to be honest with you, Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there.
1: Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll
2: tell you like I tell everyone else. I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not. So you might as well be here.
1: Well, it's uh, it's kind of cool because we're both in the same time zone, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, for once, for once, yeah. I guess we were back when we were together in Texas too, at mm-hmm. the Terrier trials, and but we didn't rec- try to record anything there. But we're in the t- same time zone. I took a picture yeah. when I crossed into the Mountain Time Zone. It's like my happy space. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. When I come west, yep. The weather What's is going? unbelievable here. We're we're on the Paloma. I'm here with Shorty Gorham. We're at seven thousand feet. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. The mountain air is just so much better. I don't, I'm trying to convince my wife it would be better for her soul too, but she's not buying it. She just, is that she's, right? not, she's not a believer.
0: Well, if they're fond of the, the amenities found in the city, sometimes it can be a little hard to get disconnected from that, you know, but she's not, no,
1: no. I mean, where we live, it it literally takes where I live. It literally takes me. As long to get to town from my house to mm-hmm. you know what I consider town town, you know, let's just everybody gauges it off Walmart. It's the same amount of distance as it is from where I'm at right now. Only is that the right? wa- Yeah, Walmart Ranch is forty thousand acres, and there isn't anybody that lives between here and
0: town. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's cool. Well then, yeah, it shouldn't be too hard then. You know, oh, like I know that's
1: I, I don't. Daughter- love- my daughter's getting ready to have an anchor baby, though, so it's going to be over after November,
0: <clears throat> yeah, you got to get her moved before she has it. And it's over. No, it's
1: already over it's that ship is sailed <sighs> she actually she actually um uh told me the other day that if if I want to move out of here, then I could come home a couple times a year if I wanted.
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like y'all got to figure it out then yeah you know, that, that's that, what
1: I'm thinking, man. That's what I'm thinking. that doesn't sound like too
0: bad a deal no and then once you get used to the elevation you know seven thousand feet once you're good with that then it's pretty much easier to go just about anywhere else you know yeah Uh, this elevation the only time i've ever had any problems with
1: elevation is i spent the night in oklahoma driving to the white mountains in arizona down at springerville and drove to nine you know i just mm -hmm. in like a 12-hour period so i went from you know what's oklahoma 700 feet to you know to to nine thousand feet mm-hmm. and and you, i got out and i started setting up my camp and you, and i don't do anything like get the tent out drink a beer unroll the tent drink a beer you know when i <laughs> when i'm setting up camp i'm setting up camp so i was i was really getting after it and uh i was like ah i don't i don't feel too good you know kind of mm-hmm. feeling swimmy headed and and everything, and I went over and told the guys, I was like, hey, I'm going down to Springerville, which was at 8,000 feet, and uh, spend the night down there, and then I'll come back up in the morning. They say once you get over, I listen to a few podcasts on, on altitude sickness, and mm-hmm. they say you got to get, get down to 8,000 feet or below uh, as fast as you can. Okay. So that was huge. I spent the night in Springerville in some little ratty motel. And went back up on the mountain the next day, and I was fine the rest of the time. But coming yeah. out here at this elevation, this
0: hadn't bothered me. Yeah. With uh, just actual altitude sickness, it's never really gotten me. My problem is just the simple day-to-day type stuff. Like, we moved out here. <clears throat> I forgot my shoes downstairs or something. And I ran downstairs, grabbed my shoes, oh. ran upstairs, and bent over real quick to just pop them on. You know, just pull on boots. And you pass and, out. Uh, you know how and bumps, like sometimes when you hunch head. over. You know, sometimes when you hunch over to do your shoes, you like you might hold your breath for just a second, you know? Yeah, yeah. And after running down the stairs, running up the stairs, and then holding my breath. I went to stand up and I <laughs> I, almost,
1: Did go I almost went
0: out. It was almost yep. over for me. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. Man,
1: we got we got a heck of a show uh this week. I don't yeah. know if, if people haven't heard of this guy, then they must be living under a rock or something. But mm-hmm. we managed, and this was through Anthony Pace with Freedom Hunters. Uh, Jim Shockey is our guest for this show. That's right. And Chad, I'm glad that you're riding shotgun here with me uh, in the intro on this thing and the outro. We'll discuss a few things after the interview. But um, so Anthony Pace with Freedom Hunters. Jim Jim Shockey sponsors, well, the bear hunt that Seth just went on was a Jim Shockey sponsored hunt. That's right.
0: That's right.
1: Which was epic. And then they have the Jim Shockey Classic, which is a golf tournament, live auction, all that stuff that raises money for Freedom Hunters. And uh, and again, if, in case you've been living under a rock, Freedom Hunters is one of our good friends. We coordinate all of their hound hunting adventures there for Freedom Hunters, where we take America's warriors, our veterans, Gold Star family members, and even active duty military and deployed on on uh, hound hunting adventures they do all kinds of other stuff over there they do shooting and pheasant hunting and and mule deer and elk and all kinds of stuff but but uh, that's what freedom hunters is and anthony helped us line this up that's pretty cool yeah that's pretty cool yeah he knows uh he anthony anthony takes good care of us that's for sure so thanks anthony for this one if you haven't checked out freedom hunters you can find them on our website by going to houndsmanxp.com click on our partners tab and they're right there check out freedom hunters it is the time of the year to start making plans for the fall for those outdoor adventures for and veteran take a veteran i mean you won't have it we're both veterans aren't we who wants to take okay. us out chad there you go i want to go I'll take you hunting. You take me hunting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that that might be what we have to do, man. <laughs> well, um, hey. but yeah, check out Seth's stuff. I mean, like that's the quality type hunts you're going on, right? He, he'll, he'll be doing a show on that here pretty soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I think it drops at the end of this week. There we it? go. There we go. That sounds right. I got to look at the schedule,
1: but I think it's coming out Friday about the uh, – all mixed up is coming out friday so you're getting double mic time this week right (laughs) yeah we haven't scheduled that that yet but oh my gosh you guys better get on it
0: yeah we'll get on it we'll get on it uh hefe is gonna be sending nasty grams mm -hmm. (laughs) but i mean that like by the time this comes out that'll be right behind it if you're interested though like check out like how many bears they get on and what kind and quality of dog it just it seems like an adventure so you know if that's the kind of stuff they show Seth imagine what they're showing or you know our veterans and stuff so i think that'd be pretty cool yeah yeah so what do you think about the uh do we do we want to follow
1: up let's do a follow up let's let's recap let's recap but let's get right into this Jim Shockey interview the guy's been in the business for 6 almost 60 years yeah uh, <laughs> He's he's seen everything in the hunting industry. He's he's traveled around the world, hunted all over the place—Africa, Asia, uh, Central America. He's been on several uh, uh, hound hunts, and he talks about those in this in this interview.
0: So, what do you say? We just
1: roll let's get right it. into it, Chad.
0: Let's get. I it. think that sounds fantastic. Let's get it. All right.
1: Jim, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. You're you're a busy guy. You always have been. And and uh thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. Yeah, busy busy is one way to put it, trying to live about four lifetimes in this one lifetime we're given. That's been my goal since day one.
1: Yeah. And I think that you've uh you're only trying to live four because it looks like it's about, you know, half a dozen to ten, maybe.
2: Yeah, well, I I also try and avoid sleeping, so I figure that doubles the force. So <laughs> probably at least eight.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'd really like to hear your uh, your background. I, you've done all kinds of hunting across the world, made TV shows about it. You know, everybody knows who you are, Jim. And um, but you know, we we talk about hound hunting. I, have you ever had much experience with hunting with hounds?
2: I I've had a lot of experience I mean obviously more than the average hunter out there but uh yeah. but I'm not, I I definitely don't call myself a houndsman and that that's that's next level stuff uh but I I sure have appreciated the opportunities I've had to hunt with actual houndsmen and mm-hmm. and their their hounds I mean it, it's uh yeah I mean I I'm, I'm a big big fan of it I, I a lot of people might poo poo it and hunters which is ridiculous but but to see a houndsman work with his hounds is, uh, like I say, that that's just next level stuff. I mean, I've I've got my dog at my feet, but that's not a hound, and it, and it certainly isn't trained like hounds and isn't a a work dog like like the houndsman's dogs. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I've had a back to your question, I've I've had a fair bit of it around the world actually, not not just in North America.
1: Right. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's, what would make you make a statement like that as, as houndsmen, I think most of us, you know, we all want to identify as houndsmen, but the very few of us really achieve that upper echelon where, uh, you know, in my mind and the way I've always defined, if somebody else is telling me this, another person says that guy's a real houndsman, it always is a, a moniker or a title that comes from one's peers more it means more than when when somebody jumps up and says, Well, I'm a houndsman. But if their peers are saying no, that guy's a houndsman. So what have you seen uh that that makes you say that that's next level stuff?
2: I I well, I mean I'll answer that in a second. I but just want to say when you're talking about that being recognized by your peers, there's a scene in the movie A Beautiful Mind. I think Russell Crowe was playing a fellow that had demons you know yeah he was um yeah uh, you know, I'm not sure the clinical term for it and it was a movie obviously but but in the end he, you know all his peers came up and put their pen on his on his desk in front of him and that that was their recognition of his beautiful mind yeah and that back to what you said that, that means something when you're when your peers designate you a houndsman you know, that truly is, I think, the greatest respect they can pay for you when you, when you aspire to be a houndsman. Right. And, and, you know, for me, I recognize that, that I'm not a houndsman. So I, I technically not even a, a peer, but I also am, am happy to, oh, thank you. I uh, really appreciate that. The uh, Someone just brought me my my coffee. <laughs> I'm running, running a little bit late this morning. Um, so, so I appreciate the skills that are involved in being a houndsman as a hunter. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, me giving my pen to houndsmen, all of you, uh, it's, it's my way of saying, Hey, you know, total respect for what you guys do. The, um, you know, the, what, what makes a great houndsman, uh, there's a fellow Rocky McBride, you know, who's originally from Texas and Mm -hmm. I've hunted with him down in, um, Paraguay. He's got a big ranch down there, and and his son Caleb. They are the quintessential houndsmen. They they know their their dogs. You know they 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 um they care for their dogs. They they're 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 like this with with their dogs. I mean mm-hmm. we we were down in Paraguay uh, darting jaguars, and jaguars are are not. You know, that, that's not like trying to tree a mountain lion. Now, there's bad mountain lions, but there's far more bad actors in the jaguar world. And, you bet. And when we were walking, you know, I, I was down with them several times um, and went after several jaguars. The um, the last time I went, it was a big cat. Uh, and we're just darting them. We're not, you know, it's not legal to kill them. We are darting them, putting GPS right. collars on them. You, you could actually follow online, see where the jaguar, where they moved. Um, but the, he set the hounds on him, and these are hounds that uh, you, as houndsmen know how much training it takes, and, and how much of your life went into making these hounds to the put it, bring them to the level they are. He, he set those dogs. I, I think there were six of the dogs, and four were killed within like minutes. And they knew. And, and the the depth of the sorrow that I saw in. Rocky McBride's eyes and Caleb's eyes, his son Caleb. That you know that sorrow you can't imagine because because imagination doesn't live at those depths of sorrow. Mm-hmm. And and you know they you know by the same token, someone else will say, well, why did you put the dogs on the on the jaguar? Well, because we were darting them. That was the that was the dog's job, the hound's job. Right. And and you know so so there's also a, an understanding that you know. That that's the life and the death uh, of 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 the hounds of us of everything is you know life against death against life against death that they the houndsmen, I think have have a true understanding of that and and I saw that with Rocky and I've seen that with other houndsmen that I've I've had the good fortune and the honor to to hunt with now never in, at that level where where the cat basically killed four of the six dogs i mean right uh, that's a bad yeah. day so it's not yeah that's a bad day and that's mm-hmm. that, you know years of training went into those dogs and it just was a bad day and and you can't you know it happens and sure and if you don't if you don't do it you know i say if you 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 can if you sit at home on your couch worrying about what might happen nothing ever will exactly you you just won't live and and so you've got to let the hounds do their job and and do your job and you train them and and you that's a that's a measure of the risk it's an objective danger that you know without it you didn't you sat on your couch and didn't you just worried you didn't do anything so so again a houndsman to me is someone that has that special connection with their hounds and and they just become one and i've seen it over and over around the world
1: Well, that's a pretty big endorsement coming from you, Jim. And, and, um, we really, we need a lot more, um, you know, people that are, that are at the level that you're at, if there is anybody that, that can bridge that gap. It seems like there's so many fragmentations in our hunting community and, and gaps in there where people want to identify and they want to be, oh, well, I'm a, I'm an elk hunter I'm a deer hunter I'm a, you know, and then, and. I'm a trapper. I'm a houndsman. And at the root of that, it's really ripping us apart as a hunting community and makes us extremely vulnerable in this day and age. It's, I mean, it's
2: such a classic, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, divided we fall, you know, yeah. divided we stand. I mean, it's just classic. And it, it to me, it's, it's absurd. It, it, it's hypocrisy when mm-hmm. you know, and I'll, I'll use an analogy. I've used it before, but it's like a three-toed dinosaur looking at a four-toed dinosaur as, as the comet's coming at the Earth, and, <laughs> and and saying, "Well, I'm far more evolved than you because I've got three toes, so I'm going to survive this, and you've got four toes. You're a, you're a dinosaur. You're all dinosaurs, and that comet's coming at all dinosaurs. It doesn't matter. You know, it, we're so why are we pointing at three toes, four toes?" it doesn't it, it, it's it's keeping us uh, our focus inwards instead of what it needs to be is outwards yeah and and dividing i'm an elk hunter i'm a traditional bow hunter i'm a traditional muzzleloader there I you went, go all that when i when i was doing inline muzzleloading well you're not a real true muzzleloader you know wait a minute you know, I use yeah I, I shoot a power. flint
1: log jim i shoot a flint yeah log, so you know <laughs>
2: yeah yeah yeah, that's right so 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 we should be you know we should hate each other we should be divided instead of standing united even even i'll tell you even you know i only i've had this um it it was uh general chuck yeager actually you know i'm going back in time and and bless him he's a he's a hero truly always was a Mm -hmm. hero of mine and i someone had invited him bear hunting um up in our opening territory. And, and, he, and you know, General Chuck said, he's an interesting guy. We we got along good over the years. And um, he said, well, I'm never going to hunt a bear because I only kill what I eat. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I get it. You know, and that's fair enough. That's your choice. And he never, to be fair, he never said that, you know, out to the greater, he was just him and I talking about that. Mm-hmm. But I see it nowadays where people, I only kill what I eat. And I only eat what I kill, and that gets them out of a conversation in a cocktail party. Well, you're a hunter. That's bad. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I only eat what I kill, and and I, and I kill what I eat. The, then that suddenly that's okay because the vast majority of the people out there they hate the idea of trophy hunting. You you kill an animal, cut its head off, but as soon as you say, well, I know I eat the meat. You know that's it's organic meat. I I, it, it gets you out of an argument. They, they love it. They go, okay. You know, they, they may not do it themselves, but they understand that. Oh, you're good then. But when you do that, you're throwing all the other hunters under the bus. Right. So you're saying the hunter that travels down to Mexico to hunt coos deer is, you know, he's a trophy hunter because he's going all that way. He can't be doing it for meat. Well, that's right. And in, in today's world, there's very few of us need to hunt, to hunt for subsistence. There's some, you know, I have many friends up in the Inuit communities and First Nations communities. And and there's people that, you know, you know, colonists that came in after contact that right. still hunt for subsistence, but that number is very low. So that the problem with I only do this and I only do that and I do it this way and I do it that way, you know, I use a bow and arrow, he uses a rifle. So I'm you know, from the outside people look in and say, Oh, okay. So even they think it's bad if you use a rifle. Well, you know, the vast oh. majority of hunters out there, and, and it divides us. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, I'm not a, I don't have a lot of tolerance, and I try and be a tolerant person, but I don't have a lot of tolerance when hunters attack other hunters uh, because of the way they hunt. You know, I'm more ethical, I'm this, I'm this. So I, I think it's hypocrisy, and we don't need that. We need to be united and and stand as a block. It's It's much, much stronger.
1: You covered a lot of ground there, and we've got a limited amount of time here. But I, I, this thought came to mind, and this is something we do on this podcast a lot. We talk about the narrative and keep and having control of the narrative for who we are and what we do. And that narrative has been hijacked by people that that wanted to to seize control or policymakers to influence policymakers and things like that. So. So you take it back to the person you talked about getting a person out of an argument at a cocktail party. Um, you know, that's simply given up. That's a capitulation to the other side because the person hasn't actually contemplated, considered, and developed the narrative and understood the whole picture that it takes to. Uh, defend hunting and the and define the values of hunting. It goes beyond providing food, especially in the 21st century you know it's 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 much easier to you know go to the grocery store and buy stuff than it is to go out and gather your own wild food in some of the places that you've done it is it's much easier for me to write a check at the grocery store than to go where where hunters go to do what they do and 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 so that's one thought that came to my mind you know we've got to control that narrative and you can't just capitulate you just can't stop and say oh i'm against trophy hunting because it's the new thing to say and it gets you gets you off the hook with some of your friends that might be on the fence about hunting you got to be able to talk about it, why it's important why why we're hunters and why we what value we bring to the table
2: i i agree 100 percent, and i you know i've had this you know, similar discussions about this. Uh, we we cannot. We we have to go beyond the meat side of it. You know, and, and and when we control the narrative, when you're talking, you you said it in a way, but what it really is, what what does honey mean for all of us, mm-hmm. and what will stand withstand the attacks and withstand the the forces that are against us, and that that's the spirituality of it yes that's why that's why we all do it because it's good for our souls it puts us in touch with our ancestral soul and when you talk about terms like that now you're now you're at a level here as opposed to people looking down at you you know now they're going getting in touch with your ancestral soul okay I, I kind of get that <laughs> you know like I'm just satisfied with my life sitting in my ivory tower on the 23rd floor that becomes a tomb when there's a pathogen around that, that like COVID, you know, whatever COVID right. is, you know, and, and that's not the big one. When the big one comes, those are tombs. Those are 23 stories of tombs. It doesn't matter if you've got the penthouse suite, the houndsman, the hunters, the field to table, livers, farm to table, you know, people that live those lifestyles, you know, those aren't tombs. Those, those are freedom, to be out there in the wildlands. And these are now starting to be terms that people understand, but you, you got away from just, you know, I, I hunt for for meat. I mean, come on. You know, you right. said it, it. By every measure, it makes no sense. Economically, <laughs> time-wise, you know, what we do is not for meat. It, that's part of it. That's a part of it. It's like a part of hunting is the kill, but it's only this much of the kill. Yeah, The, the actual... Process the camaraderie, the the traditions, the family, humor, adventure. That's what makes up the culture of these places we go to. And, and believe me, you can go to Louisiana, and that's a different culture. You're like it's there's culture in North America within right. our own groups. So so that's part of it. No matter where we go, and and to appreciate, to embed yourself with those cultures, to understand you know, what, what those Mississippi noodlers are. I think they call them hand, hand yeah. grabbers or whatever. Yeah. It yeah. I mean, it's fascinating and to, to do a, to do a, a crawfish boil and, and, you know, a catfish fry. I mean, yeah. that, that's what hunting is all about. That's truly what hunting is all about. And and when you say control the narratives, that's what we need to be doing uh, is, is talking in those terms, not, trophy hunting's bad and, and it, the problem with getting into the conservation of it which is the science of it is most people you know you lose them you know well, hunters are conservation you know you've lost them already in the conversation right. because it's science but they do understand when when they're feeling a little bit empty in their lives at whatever job they're doing lawyer accountant professional uh, unprofessional it doesn't matter you know if they're feeling empty when you start talking in terms of I feel whole, satisfied. I, I breathe fresh air and exercise, and and I'm healthy and healthy here, healthy in spirit. Yeah, people get that. That people understand that. And and well, you know, and and plus you eat organic, you know, green. That's kind of the catchphrases nowadays. Yep. Uh, mm, huh. And I, I, you know, and I'm not. I a cow is great. I mean. I'm all for it. Ranchers, thank goodness for them. They're some of the greatest conservationists around. They look after the wildlife. So it's not saying cow is bad and you have to go hunting is bad. No, it's just saying, it's basically saying, try and understand us. Try, you know, take a moment and try and understand who we are. We're not louts that spit on the floor with no higher sensibilities. You know, we can actually articulate to a degree our feelings, you know, which I think is. Back to the original problem, the narrative. Not all of us uh, are, are you know, can you know? It's not mm-hmm. easy. We're hunters. We're, we're outdoorsmen. We live living out there by ourselves, and we let people we live and let live is is part of our problem.
1: Why do why do we have such a hard time? I saw a statistic the other day. That my question is why do we have a hard time bringing this hunting community? And you mentioned the ranching community. All together, because i saw a figure the other day released from sportsman's alliance there was 407 million dollars a day is what it averages out to be 407 million dollars per day being pumped into wildlife wildlife management conservation all of this stuff with numbers like that how are we still losing or have the perception that we're losing because in my mind our PR game needs to be different. We need to we need to get that word out there. But but why are other people allowed or or able to get get a foothold in this conversation that hunters are not contributing, or we're just taking?
2: It's it's really really simple. Uh, you know, Bambi wouldn't have succeeded if if Walt Disney would have talked about conservation. You know, but bad news. That sells for two dollars. Bambi's a success. Yeah. You know, and that's the that formula has been working for the last 60 years. Mm-hmm. It's big business. The right. the mainstream media is big business. Make no mistake. They they are not giving you the news on both sides. They're giving you whatever news makes the money. And bad news sells. I mean, listen to the news. Why do you think there people died here, people died there, there's this, there's this, there, this happened, this happened, tornadoes, hurricanes floods uh, you know why are they doing that because bad news sells for two dollars good news sells for one dollar right so so that's why we we don't have you know that's how these people get their day in the sun and have for the last 60 years is they've they've they come in with a passel of bad news i today i just wrote a post it'll be going out in the next few days, you know, I post and or I write the post up, and then they they get scheduled in. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was about a and I'm I'm digressing here, but it was there was a, a haying a tractor you know haying our field, and it's beautiful mm-hmm. mountains. There's a lake in the distance, and it's you know the dust coming up from the hay. And and I said, there's two type of types of people in this world. One looks at this. And and I said, which one are you? And I said, the first type looks at this and said, loves to see the farmer harvesting, you know, the the hay, loves loves the fact that it's a sultry late spring fall and loves the smell of or late spring day. It loves the smell of fresh cut hay and and the blue mountains and the silver lake. And and I said, the second person looks at it and said, I hate the tractor because it's using fossil fuels. I hate oh yeah the fact that Diesel smells uh, and the noise pollution. I hate the fact that the farmer's cutting down grass that's been invade and in, it's been introduced. It's invasive from Africa for his hay crop. I I hate you know the silver because it's you know the air pollution. I hate the blue because the mountains were logged, you know, and and I'm ashamed of being human. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we're destroying this planet. And I, you know, which one are you? So again, it's human nature. We we just we we tend to dwell on bad news, and and we're trying to tell a good news story. We're happy. We're hunters. We're spiritually sated. You know, we have everything going for us. We understand family and tradition and morals and ethics, and you know that doesn't sell newspapers, and it doesn't it doesn't sell <laughs> it doesn't sell eyeballs on on the news programming. So so that's why we've lost control of the narrative. We're we're just nice people, and, yeah. And, you know, nice people finished last, I guess, in, in today's world for now. For now. But that you know, that's why you'll see on both sides of me the 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 novel I wrote because it and I, I'm not trying to segue to the novel, but, but I was gonna truth. say
1: I was gonna spin off of this right into your novel because there's so much media out there that is against us, and you have written a new novel that's coming out shortly. And I wanted to talk to you about that novel. If if good news sells for a dollar, and bad news sells for two dollars, is there a lot of bad news in "Call Me Hunter"?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's
2: a that, that, you know that's a very interesting way interesting way of looking at it. Bad news sells for two dollars, so yes, there's bad news in "Call Me Hunter," <laughs> but it but it who is the bad news about? And th- this is in call me hunter it's a novel it's a fictional thriller i call it an abstract thriller because it's like cubism where you know art form that the picasso where you know what you're looking at but it's but it's something's wrong here well what i did was i flipped all the stereotypes around in call me hunter mm. and and so yeah there's bad news but it's not about us it, it's about the other side and say how does that feel and and the thing is the the why I did it was, again, you know, people look at us like we're louts. We have no higher sensibilities. We can't articulate a sentence. And, and that's just not true. You know, we just don't bother because you know, why, why do we have to prove to you how we feel inside? Mm-hmm. Well, the, people seem to demand that nowadays. So, so what I did was I, I entered their world, that world that's outside of our world. And they, you know, you're an author, a novelist. Well, that's kind of a respected tradition. It's it's an art. And you right. guys can't do art because you're you're just louts.
1: Yeah, you're just well, knuckle draggers, killers out there on the landscape. Yeah. So so when did the you of, start of... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. When did you start writing the novel? When when did this project come to light? What did you when did you say, hey, I'm I've hunted all over the world. Now I'm gonna write a book about it.
2: Yeah, it, 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 I wrote the first basically chapter, the first page I wrote in about 1991 or 1993, somewhere in there. Wow. Uh, 96, yeah. You know, some, some the, and I haven't changed it. I mean, Javago's dead. I killed him. That's the opening lines. And then I wrote that. And, and so when did this come to into my mind was sitting on in, in the bamboo rainforest of Ethiopia waiting for a mountain yala. Sitting in a customs office in Russia, waiting to get export permits for this or that, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, s- sitting on a sitting on a in the Arctic with my Inuit friends, you know, with dogs ahead of me, you know, looking for polar bear. I, this is when this novel. I wrote the novel doing that in my head. I, you know, in some ways, it's like a prisoner where you, <laughs> you know, you, you you're you're there and and okay well you can keep your mind going but you know you're, you're bouncing across the tundra in this cometic for the next eight hours you might as well keep your mind focused so i i did that and and uh in 2016 i determined that 2019 october mozambique would be my last international trip i would have mm. you know been there done i got the t-shirt did what i needed to do for our museum our hand-to-man museum and, and then and that it was time to sit down and write that novel. I had a story to tell. When I wrote it, the, started writing it back when, I, I didn't have a story to tell. I hadn't lived enough to be mm. able to tell a story. You know, how can you be a writer when you're 20 years old? You can be a talented, put words together, but tell me again what you're going to write about. You haven't lived yet. Sure. You, you, I mean, you, you think you have a 20. You think you're the smartest person in the world. But, you know, it took me until I was you know, 60 before I felt I had a story that was worthy of telling and I could finish off the chapters that I started way back when, 25 years before. So, so I sat down and started writing in November of 2019 after that Mozambique trip and then COVID hit and up here in Canada, they pretty well shut everything down. So I had nothing else to do anyway. So I, I just wrote and and wrote the novel, um, and, and I did it to be able to enter that world, to to be part of their world and, and say, wow, this is a good novel, but you, you can't write a good novel because you're you. We just have to look at your, your right. history and you, you can't possibly, you can't, you know, so it's cognitive dissonance. They, they I've got a stereotype of what you should be, but, but you did this, which I respect, if, you know, but you've written it in a way that, it twists all my stereotypes of what I believed you are and what I believe these people are. And I, and I did it on purpose. I enter their world. And if it does well, if if every hunter goes out and buys this book, even if they never read it, just give it to your aunt. Uh, or it, it, we, there, the sales would be high enough to put it on the New York Times bestseller list. Now you've got a hunter with a number one bestselling book on the New York Times. All these people are business people when they're in their ivory towers in New York city, wherever it is, they understand money and, and they're making money with number one bestsellers on the New York times list. So yeah, they'll let more hunters write more novels. Say, wow, there's a demand for this. Let, let's let them in. And what happens? You change the narrative. You start controlling the narrative. i flipped around the stereotypes. Yeah. The, the anti-hero is a hunter. It, you know, the, the villain is an anti-hunter, uh, an animal rightsist. Mm-hmm. You know, I flip those around. Well, you can't, the bad guys are always the hunters. Well, no, they're that, not Absolutely. The. So so I've just tried to do something that, that mixes up their world. We know what we are, but they don't know what we are. So now they've, and if it does well, like I say, it'll open up the doors, the floodgates, doors that have been closed to us since Hemingway and Ruark 60 mm-hmm. years ago. You know, doors that slam shut with Bambi and and have really remained closed to us to be able to tell our story. So if it if it does, and and Jack Carr, you know, who wrote Terminal List and all these yes. bestsellers, you know th- that Jack started it really. He he got the door open, and and look at the success. So the, these guys with the money that are that basically they they decide where we're going with with news and <laughs> with, with mainstream media they see that holy cow there's a demand for people to just kind of tell it like it is and and you know we get away from the the wokeness of the world out there yeah and and there's a demand for it because now we have a a, we have a way to reach into that world and 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 get a voice so so that's what I'm hoping call me Hunter like I said nothing we talked about unity if hunters got together and bought this and it's not for the money we're you know I'm in our hand of man museum which 17,000 square feet, I don't know what it, you know, the land, the building, the contents, it's millions of dollars, and we're, we're giving it all away. Louise and I, my, my wife, my soulmate of 39 years, we're giving it to a foundation. So it's not about the money. We're giving everything away. It's about giving us a voice, doing what's right for hunters, and changing the perception of hunting and hunters in mainstream media.
1: Well, you brought up Jack Carr and that is, um, an example of, of uh, what I've been talking about for a long time is, you know, bringing hunting back to the mainstream conversation and, and showcasing. I mean, yeah, there's so much, there's so much stuff that, that gets hunting wrong. And then when we see people like you and, and Jack Carr, there's, wait a minute, there's a story to be told here. You're not telling it right. We're going to tell it the way it should be told, and that's that's such a valuable, an honorable thing for you to do, Jim. So, so let's all the money is going to a foundation which funds your museum, and what tell us about that? Yeah, it's not that's not quite
2: right. I, okay, I started. I I had a vision for a museum when I was ten years old, and and I stayed on that course my entire life i knew where i'd go people i wanted to see the things i wanted to gather together what i would want to see in a museum at 10 years of age Mm -hmm. you know we lived in a trailer park when i was growing up we had no money but i could get national geographic from the library and i could say i'm going to go there i'm going to go there i want this and do this And, and it was pie in the sky because like i say we had no money but i you know i left home at 17 for university and i just kept going i mean i i traveled around 306 days a year on average for 20 years and over 200 days a year before that my life I was a peregrinator and and always with the intention of this museum the hunting was part of it to, right to, you can't go buy those things for a museum a natural history museum how do you think those those pieces get into the museum well you, you can't buy them you've got to go get them mm-hmm. and mostly museums will send out hunters to do their own but then then they're missing the point they're not understanding the people the hunter-gatherers the the communities that that survive because of that they they kind of i don't know academics and the operatives in the field never the twain shall mix mix, so there's no story there and i thought no i'm going to live it i'm going to go do it and gather these things for this museum so my life's goal has been to put this museum together it's the hand of man museum of natural history cultural arts and conservation that's the education component of it and it's like i say 17,000 square feet packed i mean everywhere you look it's packed with things and and natural history objects, cultural object, and stories that go with them we've done it all on ipads uh we bought our children's old school actually mm-hmm. the maple bay elementary school in maple bay british columbia on vancouver island and and converted it into this museum the the um the response has been incredible. We had to, over twenty-six thousand visitors last year. Amazing, and we, we'll hit over thirty thousand this year. And we're not on a main drag. We're not on the highway. We're, <laughs> oh, have, you have to want to come here and see it. We get there's no there's no
1: there's no Norwegian hmm. cruise ship that docks outside and people no yeah, no you know. that, no exactly. <laughs> I,
2: we could probably cater to that audience as well, but I. I haven't gone there yet. You know, I don't think we need to. I think word of mouth is going to keep this place so busy. But you know, we get two to four classrooms a week through here. Children that are seeing real things. They can go this close to a polar bear. You know, that's mounted. Well, you can see one in a zoo too. And you know, you know the, the animals in a zoo, and you've got to be far away, and it's cages and. But here they can go right up to it, and and it's not on a screen, a digital screen. They can actually mm-hmm. get a perspective on it. There's a whole room, Century Safari room, where they can touch all everything, all the hides and and whatnot. And and the response has been unbelievable. I mean, Google it, you know, the the Hand of Man Museum and look at the reviews. We, well, you know, you're gonna get the loud, vociferous, one in a thousand, we keep track, and they are loud, and they're gonna make sure, sure. their voice is heard. So. So, you know, and that's, so 26 a year, and usually it'll be a, uh, you know, two or three of them together that are, you know, just, just want to hate, you know, hate, sure. hate, hate, hate. Their whole life is, it's got to be an ugly life to to be so shamed. But, but it's, what we're doing, and back to the question, it's donation only. So access to this museum is donation. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I grew up in a trailer park. If it was $1 admission, I could not have come in. But if it was donation, I could have brought a grasshopper, a pretty rock, a seashell. Mm-hmm. Look at, you know, hey, Mr. Curator, look what I brought you today. I would have been a curator's nightmare. I lived in here. So it's always going to be donation only. And what my wife are doing, we created a foundation to put the land, the building, all the contents, everything that's in here into that foundation and an endowment to cover expenses for 40 years. Wow. So that's goal and we've it's been a year and a half of working on this now I just signed all the board of directors whatever we have to sign off lawyers and it's astounding how much you have to spend to give things away so so I I I mean it's it's going to be a hundred thousand hundred fifty thousand dollars to to give all this I mean we're giving it away I don't care about the tax write-offs it's not you got to make yeah. money for tax write-offs, and mm-hmm. and I, you know, I I'm not worried about that. So so that's what we're doing. And the the proceeds from the book that'll go. That'll be, I mean, that goes into the pot uh, if there's any proceeds. Right now, it's about a dollar fifty an hour. It's working out too. So there's not a whole <laughs> bunch of proceeds yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when does the book? My I, it's what?
1: Uh, I was going to ask you when the book come. When does the book come out, Jim? You
2: you can Google. Call me Hunter right now and pre order it. So, okay. and it's on Amazon, it's on chapters, Barnes and Noble, they're all selling it. Uh, uh, and, and it'll be on audiobooks too. We just worked out the other day who's going to be doing the reading of it. Huh? I'm going to actually read the second person perspectives. Um, it's and it's complicated novel stuff, but I'm sure. going to read those. But the, the body of the novel will, you know, the other. Eighty percent will be Scott Brick, who does all the Clive Custler novels. I had to go to go to the mattresses to get that. Uh, they wanted seven different readers and actresses and actors to play. I mean, it's a big deal. They're these guys. They're planning to print one hundred twenty-five thousand copies of it. But wow. if you Google "Call Me Hunter" right now, you can pre-order it, and that way you'll get get a copy for sure as soon as it comes out. October seventeenth, I believe, is the release date when when it'll be in the bookstores and to be sure to get a copy, that's that's the way to do it, is to pre-order
1: it right now. I think on Amazon, mine,
2: sure. is right.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, I'll make sure I get that. Uh, get a link from your from your folks to put in these show notes.
2: Sure, yeah, that's a, above my pay grade. Yeah, I'm not sure what a link or an app is, but uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever. But I've got good people here that are really smart. They can they can make that happen. Yeah, but yeah, you, sure. and again, pre-orders. Kind of determine where it sits on the New York Times bestseller list. You mm-hmm. know, if enough pre-orders, you you move that needle, and that right. that's what we need to do. I mean, I, I would love every hunter to go, you know, buy ten copies. And believe me, I'm not making tons of money on ten copies. It's it's not about the money. It's it's about giving us a voice and supporting we, something that it gives. It, we have an entrance into that world right now, and if we do it right, then I have to be on talk shows. I have to have. They have to give me a voice and, and I, i'm happy let's let's talk about hunting let's do you it
1: know. let's do it yeah, i think i, I think it's I such think so. a valuable thing uh if we can move the needle with with works like this um it's it's going to be huge for the things that we're most pa- passionate about the thing we've put our you know our financial and our spiritual investments in our whole lives as hunters so kudos to you jim i can't think of another guy that that would be um more qualified to write this book i can't wait to read it
2: well like i say you know, it's a thriller it's a fictional thriller but there's a a lot of truth in it, it it's, yeah uh, you know I, I mean i didn't have to make up a whole bunch like i said but <laughs> i had a story to tell it was uh and that that's my story
1: yep yeah. Well Jim, I know you're a busy guy, and um, I appreciate you carving out this time out of your schedule to uh, to talk to me and and talk to our audience. and do you have any closing words of, of wisdom for for my audience before we wrap this up? It, uh,
2: I would say never apologize. You, you, you know who you are, you know what you stand for and and anyone that's not a houndsman out there that's listening to this, you know, try try a little tolerance, and yeah, you know, they might run by your stand on, on your stand in some state. You know, who knows? But we're all kindred spirits, and we need to stand united, and and just tolerate each other, understand at least, and accept, and and that'll make us stronger as as a whole. But we have to be a whole. If we're divided, we can't. There's there's absolutely no way we'll we'll be around in hundred years. So united, we have to be united
1: thank you jim appreciate your time and uh hope we can talk again soon i could talk to you for hours that's for sure we just scratched the surface
2: yeah i can blabber for hours too so be careful what you wish for
1: hey one thing i think one thing i'll add Mm -hmm. and i want to thank you for something else too right now as we're recording this uh seth hall from the houndsman xp team is actually in in british columbia participating in a Jim Shockey tribute hunt, bear hunt right now with some veterans. Ah. Yeah. Military veterans from the, uh, I'm not sure if they're from the United States or from Canada, but so you're, you're affecting, you're affecting, uh, our world in a great way.
2: We do our best. It's never enough. And the veterans, I mean, you know, we're, we're all here with our freedoms because of them. So, so I, I do my everything I can. It's never enough, like I say, but I, I do my best. And we have our charity golf event every year down in South Carolina. Yes. And uh, raise, I mean, we've raised, it's getting upwards close to a million dollars now for to take veterans of the armed forces on all expense paid hunts uh, yeah. and outdoor adventure. So, so that's, I love it. Love to hear that it's making a difference. And I, I promise I'll
1: keep doing that. With every ounce of energy that I have. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you a lot. Thanks for everything you've done for hunters and keep up the good work. Promise I will. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Guys, this is a no nonsense podcast. You guys know that. And I'm going to talk to you about Onyx because I'm sitting in camp in New Mexico right now. I've never stepped foot on this ranch. And I've used Onyx so many times in the last three days. With their high definition maps, I can see mesas, I can see grasslands, I can see the canyons. I know where the critters ought to be living, and Onyx helps me find those spots and get to those spots. And it totally augments my tracking equipment. I could buy a map card for New Mexico, but this year alone, I've hunted Louisiana, Indiana, Kentucky, uh, New Mexico. Uh, I didn't hunt in Colorado, but I was there. Montana. I've been in Montana. So you do the math on the map card, and when you buy Onyx at their elite price for around 100 bucks a year, I get all of these maps that are right on my phone, extremely clear, landowners are marked, state lands are marked. It's all right there. Check out Onyx at onxmaps.com and get with it, man, and at checkout... Enter the promo code HXP twenty and you will get twenty percent off of your Onyx subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, so there you have it, folks. Jim Shockey, the one and only, the man. There is. it is, <clears throat> man. I'll tell you that he's just so well spoken. I mean, when you have done Bennett in the business as long as he has, um, he just. He's got such a great message for hunters and hunting.
0: Yeah. And uh, the book sounds good. You know, I'm excited about it. But like like you're saying, he smooth, smooth, has an agenda and, and, and gets his point across, you know, in um, yeah. the thick of it. So, yeah, I, I enjoy listening to him talk about hunting, you know. You know, he, he, he talked about hunting with Rocky McBride. Mm-hmm and
1: and jaguar in central america and it, it it wasn't really a hunt it was more of a conservation study and yeah. rocky rocky's still involved in that so um i i really liked this message about the united front of hunters you know all of us coming together
0: right yeah I, we all need to do that and i think every single venue that I've been a part of is guilty of it in some fashion. Not all of them, you know what I'm saying? But like, for example, I have some falconer friends that don't, you know, they're like, well, isn't hound hunting kind of harassment? And I'm like, yeah, I can... Yeah, almost as much like harassment as it is to to take a wild bird out of the out of the out of the wild and go hunting with it, buddy. You know, and then I got, <laughs> and then I've had I've had a hound hunter buddy in mine before. Like oh, I just, well, I just like to leave wild animals alone. You know, like I don't want to. You know, what are you talking about? Can you say that while you're standing underneath the tree? You know, so I, I, I'm not going to point the finger at any one group, but but a fellow like me that's kind of. I wouldn't call myself an expert at any one venue, but I've had my hands in just about all of them and, and been like mildly confident at each. <laughs> um, but I've seen it. Like we, we do, we chew each other up, you know, yeah. and we yeah, should be defending sure. each other at all costs. We get tribalistic. I mean, even if you look at the, uh,
1: just the hound hunting community, you've got plot guys, you got red bone guys, you got, you got, you know, grade dog guys versus registered dog. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and I, I think I mean, isn't that kind of normal though in life and the human spirit to to be kind of you're drawn to to like-minded people and and you're st- we've all got a
0: competitive edge at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. You know, like you're let's just take plots and walkers, right? You know, they're gonna they're gonna nip at each other's flanks a little bit and you know, and then some of that playful Competitiveness, just, just just like you know the Marines and, and the Army, you know, are gonna, exactly. gonna pick at each other a whole, bunch. But, but there's really no nobody to lose in either of those, you know. It's preference, right. and uh, everybody's yeah. accomplishing something. But but I feel when we do that at different types of hunting, if like the the still hunters are after the the houndsmen, or the houndsmen are after the trappers, or whatever, there's somebody's losing, and it's all of us. Right. And it's all of us, you know. It's, it's not that playful banter anymore. At that point, where you know you're you're crippling hunting, and that's yeah. what all of us are trying to do and and pr- protect for our grandchildren and, and further. You know, I think a lot of it comes because people
1: just haven't taken the time to understand the different types of hunting, and so mm-hmm. they haven't they haven't developed a narrative on how to, you know, talk about their specific specialty, you know, say you're a deer hunter, you know, they haven't spent the time to understand how to talk about their love and passion and really lay that out without throwing it under the bus, somebody else under the bus, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, I'm a deer hunter. So, and I'm not like those trappers or I'm a deer hunter and I'm not like this group. You know, it's, it's a, it's a deal where it's easier to attack somebody and, and especially when you're being attacked than it is just to spend time and develop your own narrative and just be able to defend what you do and your passion and your lifestyle on its own merits.
0: Yeah, and all of us could, every venue, well, it's just, you could even go outside of hunting to any anything else. It, it doesn't, any kind of hobby, sport, venue, whatever, you know, but we're just going to break it down to hunting because that's what we all like to talk about here, you know, but right, I, I, even the still hunters, there's ways of, well i mean yeah but that's what we need to do period but there's like everybody says like oh well you know the hound hunting you know all you do is dump your dogs and then walk to the tree well i imagine somebody could do that under like ideal circumstances but most of the time we're out there with our nose down in the dirt trying to find out what kind of track this is is this you know is this old are we going the right way you know i've been doing this that all week yeah (laughs) it's like huffing alchem powder you got dust in your nose right yeah you know like uh, but then at the same time but then but then sometimes again i'm not pointing the finger at any group i'm just giving comparisons for everybody but i I knew a still hunter back in louisiana when i was hog hunting all the time and uh he was like oh well your hog dog's getting the way of my deer you know and this was the same person that would take every day he would take a five-gallon bucket and fill it up with corn a half bag, you know, twenty five pounds of corn, and put it out in the corner next to his blind, and the deer would have to stick its head into the five gallon bucket to eat. My five year old daughter could blow a deer away from thirty yards with his head in a bucket. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> everybody's got, you know, the the folks that are going to do it the wrong way. You know, it's just what is the community trying to promote? What standards right, are we trying right. to set as houndsmen and as still deer deer hunters? You know, and they wouldn't hang that up. They wouldn't say that that's hunting. You know, <laughs> shooting. What, what a deer. do you think? What do you think about what Shockey had to say about it, though? I mean, he went in pretty, in pretty deep about, about unity. My favorite thing that he said, and I will admit that I'm even guilty of this sometimes. In order to prevent an argument, sometimes you know, like you're out somewhere, you might be, you know, at like. Some dinner, whatever. I don't really do this very much, but uh, my my biggest thing, I guess, would be like taking my daughter to swim class or something like that. I'm like, all right, we got to right. teach her how to swim. And I'm over there, like, hey, man, I heard you hunt hounds. Oh, yeah, what air? Check this out. Look at these pictures, you know? And I'm kind of showing what I got, you know? I'm excited about it. I always right. love showing off. I'm proud of my dogs, you know? Yeah. And uh, th- they're all into it. And then somebody next to it kind of look over and be like, oh, you so you, you tree lion, huh? You, you shoot lions? And I'm like, yeah, and I eat them too. But, and it's just to shut them up as fast as possible, right? you know, and, and Jim got into using that, that as a, what you're doing is you're, you're leaving the rest of our hunting, you know, brother and, and sisters uh, abandoned there. You don't need to eat it (laughs) specifically lion. I know I'm kind of probably the odd man out there, but bear or deer or whatever. Like we've been eating lions this week. Yeah. It's good. Ain't it? You know, it's a little lean. It's like pork. It's like less salty pork, a little leaner, you know? Yep. And um, depending on what they're eating, too, you know, but but I, I really like that about him. And I've been guilty of that before when I'm just trying to get that person off my back. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't want to debate here, you know, and make a scene. This is about my daughter's swimming class. So let, let me shut this guy up. You know, and it's the truth. It may well, be How, the how truth. should you ha- how should how should you handle that? Uh, well, the, the, generally, if you really want to do it the right way, you got to kind of prepare for a talk, you know, explain, yeah. uh, for example, And, and, uh, around me, it's, it's, Uh, it's easy for, it's
1: easy for me, I guess, because that's what we do on this podcast. You know, that's what we do is by producing this podcast is talk about why we do what we do. So I spend a lot of time going down the road, thinking about different things and aspects of, of why. Especially, why the heck do I produce a podcast? You know, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that going on, but uh, all the money. Oh, you bet, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> yeah, I'm squatting out of here on in Shorty's house on the ranch. <laughs> I won't even tell you all the stuff we've done this week, but uh, um, anyway, yeah, so I think we we have time to reflect, and I know not everybody is a wordsmith. I'm certainly not. I stumble and fumble around and stuff, but you have to be prepared to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And you've got plenty of time to do it. As houndsman, we always have plenty of time to develop that narrative. If you just stop and think about it. You know, I love one of the things that we've done in the past is asking people, why do you love Don? What is your why? Heath produced a show. What is your Why? Just Mm -hmm. think, think about it, develop the narrative. That way, when you get ambushed the next time, it's, you can at least give a non-hateful answer to it. Mm -hmm.
0: There's a chance. There's always a chance. You can tell pretty quick on who you're talking to. If they're just trying to insult you or, or, you know, they, they have an open mind, but an ignorant mind, you know, and ignorance, not stupid. They're just uneducated in the field. So you can tell pretty quick what it is and if they're wrong then just politely deflect you know but if they're if they're if they're kind of could you think they're receptive to, to being educated on it there's all kinds of stuff to bring up you know like for example out here when 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 a, a tracking collar goes off that they use to protect uh to collect data on bears and lions and they want to know you know, where they're going, how they're doing so that they could protect these lands. Right. I mean, this is important Mm -hmm. The diet and, 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 you know, making sure the public property doesn't get sold off. This is important They use all this data. They got to know where the bears and lions go to know where they have to protect them, what they have to do. So that's fine. And when those collars goes off, guess what? I get phone calls. Let's go find that rascal. And they get a game camera, like one of the trappers. Here you go. How about we tie it all in the, the bait hunters, the still bear and lion bait hunters that I've heard of. Um, when they see a bear or a lion on their camera with a collar, they'll check in and be like, Hey, I got, you know, I got a I got one of these predators here with a collar on it. And they're like, Oh shoot, that must be the one that turned off. We we lost track of that one. We need to get the collar back on them. And then right. they're like, Hey, Chad, get your dogs. He was here. Let's go out tomorrow morning. You know, that's really cool for me because I'm hunting out of season, right. <laughs> You know. <laughs> um, and then I'll get to go over and, and watching them do what they do is really neat where they trank them and lower them down and put the collar back on them. And oh, you know. Couldn't, couldn't have done that, or it would have been really hard without hounds. Or, I mean, I could go on for a while with a bunch of other stuff. Like, uh, a, a another one is when they have a lot of uh, human bear encounters where they keep right. coming in and knocking over trash cans and stuff. Yeah. They'll say, Hey, c- come on out, tree. You know, like I want, you know, the biologist wants to know where, when, what, where do you go to tree and all that stuff. And you're not allowed to shoot it, of course, you know, but I'm just wanting to tree it anyway. Take some pictures and enjoy the. The ride, and then now that bear does not like dogs. Now that bear does not like humans, and it knows that it got its butt whipped when it was too close to town. So, yeah. hazing them, hazing them yeah. away. You know, <laughs> one of the pla- one of the ways you can save yourself
1: a lot of trouble and a lot of time, because there's nothing. You've heard the old saying: "There's nothing like wrestling with a pig." You know, are you, are no? I'm sorry. Don't ever argue with a fool because they'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. That's one thing yeah. I always keep in mind. <laughs> yep, the other yep. is arguing with an anti-hunter is like wrestling with a pig. You both get dirty, and the pig likes it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty so, much. Yeah. So here, here is my solution to dealing with those people. You're at the daughter's swim meet. You're looking at pictures with a buddy, and somebody sticks their nose in your over your shoulder. And it's like, oh. Do you hunt mountain lions with hounds? Yep. Well, you know, and then they start in on their questions. I ask questions back. It's like, have you ever done it? No, I would never do it. Do you enjoy looking at wildlife? Yes. Okay. Uh, Do you know anything about the North American model for wildlife conservation? No. Do you want to know? Do you want to know the truth? And if they say no, then the conversation's over. Took 10 seconds. Conversation's over. I wasn't rude. I like, there it. You go. If I like yes, it. If they say yes, if they say yes, it's like, well, let me tell you a few things. Let me tell you all the values that houndsmen add to wildlife management. The wildlife mm-hmm. that you like to drive out into the national park in your Subaru and take it, take a gander out and, and get your picture taken standing mm-hmm. next to a grizzly bear before you get eight. <laughs> <laughs> or, or that or that bison, you know. <laughs> Flipping you over the hood of your Subaru. Mm-hmm. So, and I can say that I'm a Subaru owner. I'm a proud Subaru owner. Manufactured right? in the state of Indiana. It's a 2011 Forester. It's got Safari Club International stickers and all kinds of stuff on the back.
0: That would definitely cause some confusion out here. <laughs> I would. <have> <laughs> <have done> it. <laughs> they wouldn't know what to think. You know, it's like Josh and Jason Whitaker. I sent them pictures, and they
1: were like, "Well, you're just trying to piss everybody off."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw one of the funniest things up in uh out pretty far north of me. It was a it was a Prius. And uh on the back of it was a big old bumper sticker. It says I save on gas so I could buy more guns. You know? Oh <laughs> I yeah. That well, was a, I was like, yeah, right, I gotta right, get I, one of those. Man's got a point. Man's yeah. got a point, you know. Well, hey, let's uh, uh we don't want to make this show about us. it's
1: about Jim. Uh it was. It was about Jim, but uh, we've got to find all the allies we can. It's great to know that a guy like Jim Shockey with his much bandwidth and reach is on our team. You know, he Mm -hmm. is, he's supports us and uh, you can support him by watching for that book to drop and purchasing his book. And then he's, he's going to use that money. Like he said, that goes back into his, his museum and, and different stuff like that. So he's going He's going to put that money to good work.
0: That's right. Call Me Hunter. Yes. Call Me Hunter is the name of the book by, by Jim Shockey. Uh, yep. Expected around October of
1: 2023. Yep. Yep. So, well, that's all I've got, Chad. You got anything we need to add before we wrap it up?
0: Not so much, not so much. Nothing that's going to, we're going to be able to burn through in just a little bit of time. Man, I'll tell
1: you what, I come out here every year and you think, you think you're, you know, this is the year that everything's going to go smooth. Get out here and the the dogs are all sore footed already. And, and man, it's tough, especially down in this Northern New Mexico country. because It's all volcanic composite, some kind of weird geological stuff that I don't know anything about.
0: Uh, yeah, you probably I, have the igneous and the sedimentary rock over there. So so the like the sandstone looking stuff look and the and the volcanic rock. Look at you well read on geology. Yeah, I just you know, every now and then I hit Seth with a stick and these fancy words just fall out of him, and then I kind of <laughs> pick them up and carry them around with me a little bit, you know? Like
1: it's <laughs> 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 oh, great, man. Yeah, it's yeah,
0: great. Yeah, but it will chew up the feet. Everybody likes to say one's worse than the other. I think they're 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 worse for different reasons, you know, but both yeah. of them. <laughs> pads to pieces you know i'm gonna tell you i'm
1: gonna i'm gonna give you one right here and i think this is part of it two of my <clears> dogs <throat> two of my dogs are sore foot one is not and it's the blue tick male and the blue tick male um is tied out on gravel he's got a gravel base that's the best so, so all day long he's on gravel the two plots Are in a wood, have been in a uh, my kennel, which has got a wood deck board floor. Mm -hmm. And that has got to be it. He's he's not tough, the terrier. I mean, my yog, not sore footed. Indy, the blue tick, not sore footed. The two plots, I've been treating their feet all week.
0: I I swear by it. I think Uh, gravel is the best, the best base for feet. I mean, because like out here, I got a lot of ground that's like rock hard, it's like a skillet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then that's good for when, they're, if they're running on only slick rock, they do great. You know, the pads are rock hard and they do just fine. But if they, when they get off the slick rock and get in the grass, now that, uh, you know, piece of iron that's on the bottom of, their, bottom of their foot starts having to bend in the soft grass and then mm. they get cracks and it comes apart. And then my dogs that are in the soft stuff, you know, as soon as, you know, th- theirs are plenty pliable at that now, but then uh-huh. when they get on the slick rock, it's it's too pliable, so it pokes them and and bends, you know, and like they get they get all the scuffs and blisters and, and you know, and it's just not hard enough. So I think gravel is the best because it's hard yet it continues to flex, so they don't get flat hard calluses, you know. So that right. that gravel gets up there even in the webbing, you know. That's yeah. the other yeah. thing; it actually gets in the webbing where I don't think there's another surface that does that. You know, yeah, when, I, when I get home,
1: when I get home, I'm building a dog yard, and I'm going to have carousels, and mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to all have gravel gravel on a gravel apron i've got plenty of creek rock there at the house Mm -hmm. uh, and i'm gonna i'm gonna build a dog yard and i'm gonna get get these dogs off that wood wooden plank it's the it's the ticket i'm telling you i'm i'm and and paws are protected yep seriously i love that stuff I love that stuff. It's it's kept me hunting all week. Really,
0: it especially has. if you get ahead of it. I, I'm sure yeah. you're guilty, just yeah. like the rest of it. You wait Absolutely. until you got a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I got out of here but last you- week. Last week I was thinking, I ought to start grabbing some paws because I was roading dogs and doing st- different stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I was roading them, and and but we still don't have the gravel. I mean, it's just you can't do it back there and get their feet toughened up. So. I was thinking, yeah, I'd erupt some paws to protect it on it. And it's like, oh, I'll start next tomorrow. And tomorrow Oops. never came. <laughs> and then here I am in New Mexico. One good bear, one, one good, one good bear trash race.
0: Because mm-hmm. we
1: did get on a bear. We're trying to hunt mountain lions, and the trashy plots uh caught a bear. Right. And <laughs> and a, a one afternoon a rodent and they were shot. It was like eh. so now That'll just
0: happen. yep. Yeah. Depending on where you keep your food, what I do to kind of force myself, um, I keep I keep my food in uh, pickle barrels. You know, the kind you can spin with a little gasket top. You know, it's like yeah. a little, mm-hmm. I think mine are like 45-gallon drums or whatever. But they got the little spin top with a gasket on it. And uh, I got a few different types of food. Uh, but I'll take it and put it in like a Ziploc bag or even like a plastic grocery bag if you can still find those these days. Right. But just throw it right on top of the kibble. So you got to move it out of the way. To feed your dogs, you know, and if I put it somewhere, I'm going to forget about it. But if I put it on top of the dog food, you know, it generally gets put on there. Yep,
1: for sure. And uh, I'm also using the Dogs Are Treated tie out, which is awesome this week. Yeah, those are. Hey, man, I'll tell you what, we better wrap this up and um, get this one in the in the bank. So. I didn't. I. I want to thank. I want to give a shout out to everybody. the The response to our merchandise in our store. Uh, we launched in May and th- mid May and a, to mid June. Thank you, thank you to everybody who's purchased H- Houndsman XP merchandise and uh, rep the brand, especially the Fair Chase t shirt. Yeah. And the Fair Chase decals. That is the message. It is crucial. It's going to be the battleground for the future of hound hunting, of whether or not it's fair chase. So thank you for purchasing those items. We've got other stuff there. We've got tumblers. We've got, we've got um, knife sheaths. We've got pool hats. We've got embroidered hats. We've got leather patch caps. Check it out. You can check it all out at houndsmanxp.com. Hit the shop tab and fill your card up. We'd love you. We'd love you for it. So, yep. I think that does it, doesn't it, Chad? It does, bud. That was a good one. All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Hounds of Next P podcast. This is Fair Chase.